Hey everybody, what's going on? Steve here. Just wanted to give you a little disclaimer about this week's episode. Uh, I was in Ottawa this past week, and as you know, Ottawa is a big fan of that polar bear internet, and uh, it ain't so good! And we lost a portion of the show. Luckily, it was the latter portion of the show. So all you're missing is basically a little bit of news, uh, maybe some banter, books we're looking forward to, and outros, just your standard stuff. Uh, All the New York City Comic Con talk and all the lightning rounds and everything comic book related is there. So if the show ends abruptly, it's because there's nothing left. It's just gone. So that's the deal. We hope you enjoy the show. We will be back next week uh, with a better recording situation. And we apologize for the inconvenience. And we hope that you forgive us. All right. On with the show. Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Talking Comics Podcast. It's Wednesday, October 12th, 2022, and you're listening to episode number 567. I am your host, Steve Say, and joining me for this week's show are Mr. Bob Ryer. Let me just say hello to all our friends and listeners in Australia. Hey! Yeah, you got uh, quite a few stories and uh, people to talk about a little bit later. Uh, Aaron Amos is also here. Has anyone seen my feet? (laughs) You don't want to see mine, I can tell you. (laughs) Cut off and crying in the corner somewhere. Yeah. Uh, So, uh, full disclosure for this week's show, it is just the three of us this week. And uh, I think there is a general fog of exhaustion kind of floating through the talking comic sphere this week because Bob and Aaron both uh, tackled New York City Comic Con this past weekend and have lots of stories and lots of things to share from that show. Meanwhile, uh, I have been on the road. I am in Ottawa and recording from my mother-in-law's bedroom right now, (laughs) sitting at her desk with my podcast arm that I set up and clamped to the desk uh, her and Bronwyn are outside. I can see them through the window, sitting next to a fire, roasting marshmallows, Aww. drinking drinks. It's it's pretty nice. Um, it is Thanksgiving, Canadian Thanksgiving weekend here where I am, and uh, I have done a lot of fun activities that I will. I can either talk about now or I can talk about during my lightning round. We might want to get to some uh, New York City Comic Con shenanigans first. But uh, we also have lightning rounds. We have a couple of news stories, um, mostly like media, movie, and television related. Uh, 
as one is wont to do. I don't know that we necessarily made note of a lot of the new comic book things that were announced at New York City Comic Con. Maybe we can take another look at those uh, and go over them next week. Although, I don't know that we're going to have time. It depends got, on what we end stuff. up doing. Yeah. What's that? I got some Aaron has stuff. A, yeah. Oh, so you, all right. Yeah, you probably. He was our roving reporter. That's right. <laughs> Post things in the chat. I was uh, man yeah. on the street. That's right. Uh, that's pretty much how it's going to go this week. I feel like we should uh, we should start off with some New York City Comic Con stuff. How uh, how did you enjoy yourselves overall, Aaron? Let, we, we, I think we should do this by saying all as a as a general thing. We all had a wonderful time because we yes. were in each other's company, and those of our great family of creators and listeners who we all bonded and chatted with. And we've got great stories about all that. And because so, I'd rather finish with all the really good stories, but I think yes. Aaron and I would both like to address some of the, the stuff that didn't go the way it might have yeah. all things shall considered. Shall you? Right? Yes, you shall go ahead. I'll okay. chime in. Don't worry. Go ahead. Read pop. You suck. <laughs> oh, okay. Here's Shots what I'm going to say. Shots are fired. And I put it on Twitter and I don't care. So here's the thing. On September 7th, they made an announcement that masks were going to be required and everyone got all up in arms online, blah, 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 blah. But it was made clear that it was for the safety, health and safety of everyone else. And if you go out to their website right now, it still says that masks are going to be required. I would estimate there was about a 20% compliance to that, you know, in the entire con. Not only that, the staff wasn't even complying. Um, the the security, the security it. staff, right? The security <laughs> staff. No one was required. You might have had a couple of people here and there saying, "Hey, here's some masks over here. Here's some masks over here," but no one was was enforcing it. And people were just walking through, just raw dogging it, just all through the whole <laughs> con, and it, and no one cared. They're going um, commando, basically. Oh my God. <laughs> and we, you know, and it was, although, and I go back to what Bob said before, we, we did our part, you know, our group, our, our clique, we did our part and we stayed masked and we were vigilant and we all had hand sanitizers and we were just passing it around, et cetera, et cetera, so, you know, masked up here and there um, and doing our best. But the reality is there was just no guidance. So I, I may have let it go. Can I ask a question? <laughs> Go ahead. Was was there supposed to be enforcement? Like, were, were there yes. rules? Yes, that was according to the website. You- yes, yes. The website signs, is very clear. signs in the building. Masks will be required. Yes, it's not encouraged. It required. Okay. Required. And every part of the con. That's what yep. it says. So now I I might have considered letting it go had the press not picked up on it and then called out Reed pop and then Reed pop put up some bullshit statement basically saying, Hey, we recognize that we didn't do enough. The first days you'll definitely see more adherence the next over the next several days, blah, 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 bullshit. I was sitting Mm -hmm. there standing next to people with uh, Carolyn and I went into a panel. uh, One of the ones you had to be reserved for Walked past the health and safety uh, advisors. That's literally what their T-shirt said. Health and safety advisors. No mask on. Barking orders at people. Standing at the mask desk. You know, where there were masks there for people to get. 
So, you know, that's the thing that kind of bothered me. You know, Mm -hmm. exactly. That's the thing that kind of bothered me. And I say that because in the previous year, there was such a structure and such a regimen that, you know, they were able to, I felt very comfortable being in the space. Last year was much different. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Very, very comfortable being in the space because people, you know, A, the community seemed to adhere you know, they seemed to be on top of things. They were forcing people to, to to adhere to all the rules and regulations. And even inside, people were, you know, being tapped and, you know, et cetera. It, it just seemed like they cared more last year. This year, no. So I asked security guard outside. I'm like, what's going on with the, the mask situation? And he said, I've just given up. He said, he wow. basically said, because I've just given up. Melissa said she saw a lot of the boards on Facebook and everything that people were just, you know, rallying to say, you know, they're never going to be able to enforce it. So people were coming with the expectation of disobeying. So I, I, I was troubled by that. I thought it was just disrespectful to those people who, you know, and that's why I put that post on Twitter, basically saying, you know, ahead, basically sorry. saying that, you know, I, I wanted to be clear that I wasn't, I wasn't raging like I'm raging now, but I legitimately wanted people, you know, anyone who might be looking up like the hashtag for read pop or NYCC or whatever, if you made the choice to come with the expectation that there would be some level of safety, you should really reconsider it because your expectations will not be met. So my objective was to simply say, you you should know this additional bit of information so that you can make a good choice. You know, it's still your choice as to whether or not you're coming or going. I'm not telling anyone not to come, but essentially you need to have all the information. And Repop is not giving you all the information. They're, the website is giving the impression that you're going to walk into a space of you know, 150,000 mass people, and you're really not. And so now, based on your, you know, personal situation, you now have to make choices. So that's kind of what, what, what I kind of wanted to get across. There. Anyway, so that was that. Bob, what are your thoughts on that? Well, before I go to here's the thing. For, just say one thing. As a longtime retailer, you're always kind of instructed you, you shouldn't have a real confrontation with people. Mm-hmm. So I, I – I will fault the people who are the actual security and health and safety people for not following the rules. But the, the yeah. poor girl standing at the entranceway to the panel yeah. hallway, who's trying to hand people masks and people just ignoring her or flipping her off, which I saw someone do. Yeah. I, I, I can't fault her. She's making, you know, $15 an hour, maybe to stand there and she shouldn't get beat up or harassed. So that's, that's right. the thing of that. But last year when it was it was slightly smaller because of they didn't sell as many tickets and it was still in the, more in the midst of the, the pandemic, which isn't over despite what the president says. We, I think we, uh, I'll be chauvinistic. I think we had more locals and not more yokels so that there are people from here out on Long Island who are lots of nitwits. And we had some folks from all over the place who didn't do the right thing. And once they were in the building, uh, free-reigning the place, you were not going to be able to stop anybody. Where where they needed to make sure was on the website in giant red letters before you bought the tickets, a stop screen. Unless you intend to wear a mask, because we're going to enforce it, maybe you shouldn't buy tickets. But hey, retail and commerce, that wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Then the second level would have been, as they funnel everyone into the metal detectors... Got a mask? No. Get out. There was nothing. Get out. I bought tickets. I'm sorry. This is a private 
enterprise, we can set our own rules. No, no shoes, no shirts, no service. Get lost. Mm -hmm. They didn't. So now you've got 50,000 people running rampant, doing what they wanted. Uh, I think there was more compliance with creators than there were with the yeah. crowd. Yeah. Which made me feel bad for creators who were trying to do the right thing. Uh, all that said, the other aspects of the of the safety thing, harassment, whatever, they, they did their usual fantastic job. This was a fail. This was an utter yeah. fail. Yep. So with that said, out with the bad energy. Yes. And in with the good energy. Right. Deep breath of good energy. <gasps> Well, exactly. if I could just Oof. jump in. Sure, go ahead. Quick. I'll tell you what. If we had, as as people that missed out on this and would really love to go again, I mean, who knows what the situation will be next year, but if we had made the trip and come all the way out there from Canada to be at this event, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. expecting it to be a masked event only to find out that it wasn't, that would yep. be devastating because that would... It would ha- a shadow would hang over the entire time, mm-hmm. especially after getting COVID like three times. Like I wouldn't want to get it again for that, like for anything. Yeah. So I don't know. Just the, the I'm sad that we weren't there, but knowing that it was such a disaster, like health wise, that's a little takes the sting out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it I I it was it was bothersome. It that was bothersome. Now again, that's why I go back and I say, all right. With that said, and with, you know, all of that bad energy out, um, you know, we we took it upon ourselves to do the things that were right for us. And the way we mask and the way that we, you know, we situated ourselves and took a break and, you know, the sanitizing and all that stuff and the washing. We did the things that, you know, we we were very vigilant about our mask. We understand that that's not going to be a 100 percent thing. So obviously we're all continuing to test and make sure that. You know, we are healthy. Now, with that said, there were massive numbers there this year. Um, I I have theories about it. I'm curious to see what the numbers are. It just seemed like every day the number of people there exceeded my expectations, even on a Thursday. Thursday was relatively light compared to the others, but still still good. I went all four days. You know, Carolyn and I went on Thursday, and then I, I was on my own on Friday, and then you know, every, then Bob and Carolyn and, and Melissa and, and Max came on uh, Saturday, uh, along with our Australian contingent, um, and you know, then we all were there except uh, Sans Carolyn on Sunday, um, and I, I can honestly say each day the numbers were massive. Now I have a theory. The one theory is that. Historically, in the past, they've used the Hammerstein Ballroom and, 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 and the garden for some of the runoff activities. And they didn't do that this year because they have the new part the new uh, uh, part of the Javis that's been developed. And they've, they've put those big rooms over there. So I'm wondering if maybe that just has everyone all in the same space again. But I'm very, I'm very much looking forward to the numbers because it was huge. It was just massive. Even on, sun, even on Sunday in Artist Alley where you expect to be able to just sort of traipse through and, and, and make your deals for last minute things you want to pick up and blah, blah, blah. It was mayhem. It was just like shoulder to shoulder, you know, for most of it and, and, and trying to get through. Um, it was mayhem. Now, I think that's a positive thing for, you know, the, the creators that were there because, you know, they get to, 
you know, uh, they're picking up their attendance at, at cons now. I'm noticing online, I'm noticing on, on Twitter and Instagram and everything, everyone's, you know, heading out to more cons and sort of getting out there and getting their art out there. And it does a lot. To, I was talking to some of them and it does a lot for them, which is great. So I'm glad that they got to get some of that exposure and, you know, get out there. I think Kristen said she was having a, a great, uh, you know, time, you know, sort of mm-hmm. with her, her um, selling her products. Sorry, I couldn't get the words out. Um, uh, you know, and other creators that I talked to were selling, saying the same thing. And I think everyone was always was all on the same page of just enjoying being in that nerd space. So from that perspective, when I walked in that first day with Carolyn, I was overwhelmed with this sort of feeling of nostalgia and this feeling of just like, I, I, we're back. We're, we're back in this space where we were all, you know, we all have talked in the past about feeling incredibly safe and part of a community and a community that just, you know, we, we bond and we band together and, you know, we like creativity, et cetera, et cetera. It was really good to be back in that space. Yes, you had that thing, that little cloud of massless people, you know, hovering over you. But, you know, it, from an experience, it was it was good to be back in that space. And then, you know, seeing seeing the big two sort of beginning to, you know, reemerge and make an appearance you know, back at the con was also good. Um, and then seeing the number of celebrities. So it, it's, it seems like it's reinvigorating itself again. And, and people are getting back into the, the mix of things. Uh, the numbers, I, I think the numbers are going to be insane. I'm curious to see them, but um, yeah, it's, it was definitely closer to pre, you know, as I say, the before times um, pre COVID pre pandemic, it was definitely closer to that scenario than, you know, in the, the than last year. So that's kind of my mm-hmm. high level. I got yeah. some other updates, minor updates, but that's my high level. But Bob, yeah, last last year they just sold less tickets, and they did something really smart in that they widened the aisles. They guess they sold less tables, had some cancellation, and I think they decided to revisit that because even on the show floor, it was more open. That said, even with that new openness, things were as crowded as ever, which means there were even more people packed in that space. We, we were saying Aaron and I on Sunday that it looked like Saturday. Yep. It was like early on early, right. At, at 11 in the morning, it looked like it was two in the afternoon. You look down the stairs into artist alley and it was just humanity. You couldn't see tables. You couldn't see anything. And, it, and just yeah. as Aaron says, that is great, particularly for, the independent and smaller creators, the people just breaking in or just have tables to sell prints. They're not even actually doing comic book work directly, but they're part of this community and they're selling their jewelry and their prints and so on. And then you add in the superstars where it's the Batman corner and you have tables worth of people under one agency or whatever. And the lines are out the block. Jim Lee was running a confessional. You had a, a line of about 50 people and you had to get into a curtained off booth to see him. It's going to give you a little blessing on the way out. You know, here, here. take the wafer, drink the wine, get lost. Yeah. Um, we were sure what that was. What situation is that? What's going on back there? He's, he's really into it, I guess. I don't know. I, who knew? Um, yeah, that was it, it, it was great. Again, just as Aaron says, it's great to be in that space. And honestly, Everyone, not counting the mask thing, everyone was very respectful of each other's mm-hmm. space for the most part. There was less of that bum-rushing an event. There was less 
stopping in the aisles for cosplay photos. They had signs up everywhere, and people try, just seemed to like move to the corner of, of places for the most part. And lots of excuse me, pardon me, whatever. Yeah, great. You know, and so again, we, we want to go to the, the positive energy. We, we've set our, our fill on the yeah. negative, though. The, the reservation system needs some work. I'll give it that. Yeah, there's that. They're, they're, they're working out this new reservation situation yeah. that, isn't, that wasn't quite. So I'll, I'll just run because one of my highlights is because of the reservation system being kind of broken. I yes. would. I was advised by both Aaron and Carolyn that just because something that says it's sold out doesn't necessarily mean it is. So they did late Saturday a uh, Drew Barrymore interviewed Jamie Lee Curtis about her life and career and Halloween ends coming out in the biggest hall in the building. Sold out. Great. They're letting people in. I get on this line and I was there 45 minutes early and i was if i were putting a number on myself i was probably number 1000 in the standby line <laughs> it's like this now, is probably clear, just to, to add to, to be yeah. clear when he's saying a thousand in the standby line that's a thousand above and beyond the people that had already reserved tickets yes right so let's be clear so it, it gets to two minutes to the event and they start letting people in they let everybody in this cattle call thing in and it was great i had one of the greatest celebrity panels i've ever seen jamie lee curtis was amazing came out and said you know i don't have a career i don't have a family i don't have the life i've led if not for you people out there who supported halloween and laurie strode in my career and uh it's you people who should be celebrated not me and then cried and broke up and it was an amazing hour or so the thing of it is there were probably there were probably hundreds and hundreds of people who might have even gotten in past us who gave up on that panel and i can't tell you how many more because the the way the reservation system worked well if you didn't show up no one was going to know that so that was going to leave seats open if you were bringing kids they didn't count somehow and that skewed all the numbers and I, it was a great idea so that you didn't have what we used to do, Steve, where you'd have to wait on the, the, the Cup of Joe line and get there yep. two hours early and miss half the con to wait in line. So now you don't have to wait in line, except yeah. for everybody else who might want to get in because people reserve things they may not even go to. Uh, so so I, I don't know, maybe you have to check in a second time or something or renew your intentions, renew your vows to yeah. go see this see a battle. I think uh, they're probably going to learn some lessons from it yeah. this time. Yeah, but it, it it in the end, it didn't – I don't know if it accomplished what they thought it was going to accomplish. Mm-hmm. It, it, it certainly guaranteed – um, I think the one thing that did that it did do was was guarantee you know at least for you know some knowledge or some estimate of what numbers are going to be there for your big ticket yeah. items and so you can see right. who's for those people serious who wanted to go see something and if you got in to see it it, it worked perfectly yeah uh, for the casual person who might have wanted to I'd like to see that but within twenty minutes it was sold out yeah you might have affected all the rest of their plans I I, I wanted to do this and this and this. And then there were some glitches with, with Melissa, who was, was getting a, a photo op with Ooh. Oscar Isaac, where yeah, her timed her timed event got untimed by an hour, basically. Mm. And just, there yeah, were, uh, 
yeah, there there were things that could have been done there much much better. But it does, over the years though, Reed Pop to their credit has taken all these things as as learning moments. Yes, and moved to something else. The old panel system really didn't work, so they, they tried this, and now this has to be tweaked. But yeah. it it does as you're saying, it does give you some sort of clue as to what's what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, it's improving. I don't. I don't yeah. want to sound like we're crapping all over. It's definitely no. improving. There are definitely some areas that need to be tweaked a little bit. That maybe we, they didn't do a lot of, you know, if then else type scenarios with. Mm-hmm. Like if this happens, what do we do? Or, you know, yeah, where, where's the flow chart happens. for this? Right. Yeah. yeah. So maybe just something along those lines. But but I did want to point out two things, and I don't. Bob may or may not appreciate it. So as we are sitting at the Algonquin. Uh, the round table, you know, uh, we were at the real round table too. Yeah. We were at the actual round table. Uh, myself, Melissa, Max, Carolyn, uh, and then Chris, uh, Chris, Chris from Australia, shout out to Chris, um, actually, you know, was like waiting for us inside the door. Um, and then Bob shows up and we're all sort of sitting there just, you know, hanging out. And then all of a sudden two individuals pop up. Uh, shout out to Trish and Troy. Yes, from, indeed. Uh, uh, from, from Australia. who Listeners from day one. Trip. Listeners from day one. Uh, wow. At least, at least Trish. You know, no shade to you, Troy, but, you know, <laughs> you tell me. I, I'm just saying. Ouch. No shade. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> let us know. <laughs> great people. No, it is what it is. You know, no, Even awesome. if he's not a listener, he's a great person. And... They, Trish, made it very clear that the one thing she wanted to do was meet Mr. Bob Ryer. Uh, I'm crying. And, stop. And no, don't stop, such, please. It's, yeah. She, you know, and it was great to see. She came over. We're all sitting there. She walked. She went right past all of us. It went straight to Bob. <laughs> so, are you Bob Ryer? Um, no, it was great. It was great. Um, and gave him a beautiful, beautiful gift. Bob, did you want to tell what it was? Yeah. Um, uh, Trish uh, comes over with this little goodie bag, and there's it's a it's a print of it's ten different iterations of Wonder Woman across her history by Nicola Scott that is signed to Bob. Keep talking comics which she got directly from Nicola Scott. She's a friend of Nicola Scott's. Yes, she and, she let me know ahead of time, yeah. Yeah, and uh, mentioned to Nicola how every time there's some... We, we have a, a listener question about some sort of project. It's, well, who would you like to do that? It's like, well, I, I want a Wonder Woman Captain Marvel team-up by Kelly Sue DeConnick and Nicola Scott. <laughs> and that I'm always mentioning, and I met Nicola once, and she's just a lovely person, and she hands me this, and I'm... Uh, yep. beside beside myself. It is Crying just such a, a wonderful... Well, uh, yeah, absolutely so. And in the bag, there's some Australian candies, a little koala, and we had just a series <laughs> of amazing conversations among this group that then added to that was Kristen Godsnock, who came in. Yep. Oh, amazing. And it was... You could watch the, the, the little group groupings within the grouping forming into yeah. this, and that... You know, they had come here for this con and for us, as as does Chris and and for all of those folks who. And then Aaron and I on Sunday are going through some unsorted, <laughs> unsorted, unsorted boxes of stuff. Yeah. Uh, 
fellow walks up to us. Uh, are you Bob Breyer from well, Talking he, he, Comics? And it's sort of like, um, uh, do I owe you money? Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I'm, I'm from Chicago. My name is Bill. I, I, I've been listening for years. And I heard your voice and saw that hair. I thought that was you. Yeah, here's Aaron. It was awesome. It was here. awesome. I, you got you to gotta set it up because I, okay, growing up in the city, I'm always aware of my surroundings. So I'm always aware of like who's, who's watching, who's nearby. Mm-hmm. And I kept seeing this guy circle and he's looking at Bob. And he's looking at me and he's looking at Bob again and he keeps circling around. And I'm like, all right, got my eye on this guy. Um, you know, I didn't know who he was, but and then he then it clicked in my head. And just as it clicked in my head, I'm like, he's probably a listener. He probably recognized Bob. Because I'm like, I've been that guy who's like recognized Bob and like his <laughs> listener. Um, and then lo and behold, that's he comes up, he introduces himself, and I'm like, did then, then he asked who I was again? It, all eyes on Bob. I, I was just like the side, you know, the the, the side of fries that was sitting over there. And I'm perfectly <laughs> Stop. Fine with that. Um, and you know, he asked for a picture with us. Well, he asked for a picture with Bob. Yeah. I think I just, I think I just photobombed. Um, <laughs> Stop. But, you know, it was, it was great. It was just great to sort of have that sort of experience again. It was really good. And it's all, yeah. all respect to Bob. You know, he is a critical and pivotal part of the show and people, you know, wanted him to know that. Um, as no, they, and, they know and that, that is, that is appreciated as a, with someone who has, Many fewer days on the calendar than have passed on that calendar. To have this be a third act is pretty pretty gosh darn special. Though I, I have to do say this about our Algonquin meetup, which was incredible. Again, to sit at that round table where I've only done once before, where we, we had uh, where Lauren arranged it. My I think it was my sixtieth birthday, and we did a, a whole meetup there. But we're sitting in this space in this now renewed lobby. It looks magnificent really as, as it must have back in 1902. Um, we were in so many different conversations for so long. Mm-hmm. We closed mm-hmm. the place. <laughs> we got the guy like was, there would be, look, they're very respectful. Okay. About w- moving people out, but his visits to come back, we get a little more frequent though. So were the, so were the drinks. I mean, I have to say, I think I did have four sidecars, but we were also there from, I was so there from about quarter to five. eight. Until, yeah. you know, one o'clock in the morning. I didn't get home until three and came back in the next morning. <laughs> I felt bad because I'm like, my hotel is two blocks that way. So yeah. I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, but you guys yeah. got a got a trip. <laughs> right. I got to right. Melissa went home too, but she left yep. maybe an hour before. They left and I, not 10, the, Carolyn, yeah. Carolyn, yeah, Carolyn had parking until ten, so they, yeah. they left at ten. Right, and I left, I don't know, two and a half hours later, uh, including a conversation with the lady at the front desk about the cat and the whole, we had a whole thing going on. Um, Because I got to Penn Station. It was easily after midnight. Yeah, it was easily after 1230 that we left. Yeah, uh, because what used to be, used to be a a 105 train in the new schedule with the new Penn Station was now a 127. Yeah. (laughs) Which was actually pretty busy, all all things considered, but... um, I mean, aside from all that, and again, huge shout out to Trish and Troy. I am so honored and humbled, and I'm going Trish to show my me. boss this print tomorrow because she's a huge Wonder Woman fan as well, since she's named her daughter Diana. And I know exactly mm-hmm. where it's going up in the kitchen because it's getting a frame as soon as I can. And I'll be looking at it every morning with my coffee. So yeah. my, I mean, my thanks to them. Uh, to to the con. Again. Yeah, go ahead, Aaron. I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead, Bob. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No. No, I was just going to move to more general things. You may be more specific, so go. 
No, I was just going to say, I, I, I mimic, I, want, I wanted to point out Ms. Gudsnuck as well for showing up and hanging out mm-hmm. with us and, you know, and, and having a great time. Uh, but then, yeah, I was going to say there were, there were some interesting announcements, you know, that were made and there did seem to be, and something, the one other thing I wanted to point out, there definitely seemed to be focus on diversity and inclusivity at Marvel. Um, we found, yes. I found myself in several panels that had overlapping That's a nice themes. change of pace. Uh, yeah, believe it or not, I had overlapping themes, uh, with, you know, people in the LGBTQIA plus community at the helm of some critical activities, you know, that are going to be impacting Marvel and our Marvel storytelling moving forward. Um, and you know, it was, and, and the overlap was in the Marvel voices panel, as well as the women in Marvel panel and just some of the other panels that I was able to attend. So it was, it was, was good to see that it was good to see that, that there was a focus there. So, but I don't know if you want to go into, I could do it in my lightning round, which won't exactly be a lightning yeah. round, but there were a couple of announcements. Yeah. Uh, it was also great diversity in the artist alley room. Mm-hmm. And lots of, of people of all persuasions of all types from all levels of the industry from the top to the the top stars to the the rising indies mm-hmm. which was great to see again uh that for those folks there's there's a way to network and make connections we're in a, a smaller con that's hard to do but now here everyone's there if you need to do things and and on on that sort of front it's wonderful to see i i i'm Seeing people who are, are friends of the show, who we've had had a chance to, to get in on the ground floor with, for instance, so getting to meet in person Caitlin Yarsky yeah. and have a lovely chat with her, and she signed a Catwoman for me. That is, is just, you know, the, the, the issue she just did, which was so amazing, we talked about here on the show. We had a conversation with David Pepos. Who, yeah, that was great. Uh, oh, that's cool. completely humbled by what he had to say about his times coming on with us and what, what it's where his career is at now as opposed to then with, you know, Spencer Locke as, as we all began our our journey with him, the same with, with Kristen Godzna. Uh, It took a while to catch up to her, but even speaking to Joelle Jones, who we, uh, we, we start chatting about when she was on, Bobby was still the host and lady killer had just come out. And as we started talking, she, you know, I re- spoke about how the her project of hers, she has a third volume coming out where she's running, drawing, and coloring, by the way, which is about a year or so away. Oh, wow. And how we were, we were fan casting Lady Killer that, that first, that first visit <laughs> she had with us and her eyes up. Oh yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, Yes, yeah, I, I wanted Ava Gardner. She has the young Elizabeth Taylor in mind, and they're both perfect. They both work. Um, and that is, maybe it's just that we've been around so long. I don't know. Maybe that's just that we're just long in the tooth. But that we've been blessed to be such a part of people's lives at the listener side and to be able to spotlight creators whose work touches us in some way or other and have have then other people discover the same thing just lovely just just simply uh, something really special and i'm yeah it, it was great it's great to be back in that huge space 
great to be back in the smaller space that all this inhabits too. A little more personal part good. of it. Yeah. It was good. To, I got the opportunity to gush over Mr. Umberto Ramos and tell him how much we love Strange Academy and and that we how we voted. I think that you know on our best of. Um, got to meet Mr. Dan Moore and get him to sign, you know, uh, volume one of Once in Future. Uh, I talked to Ricardo uh, Ortiz, who you may recognize he's doing a lot of the covers at uh, DC right now. He lives in Brooklyn, and we talked about maybe him uh, chatting with us on the show. I got to chat with Mr. Steve Orlando and got him to sign uh, a copy of Commanders in Crisis, and we chatted a while about you know, living and working and growing up in upstate New York. It was just fun to be in that, that space again, and just sort of connecting and chatting with people. Got a bunch of signatures. Um, I got to talk to the artist of uh, seven secrets um, and begged him to tell me that there were more, there was more coming, but (laughs) alas, he could not, Um, you know, uh, and that was, he signed, he signed an issue of that, that we found uh, thanks to Eagle Eye Bob, because we couldn't find any copies of it anywhere on the floor. And Bob found one in one of the boxes. No, I think we one of some, one of us found it someone somewhere. You did. You found um, that one. I found yeah, the Strange Academy. Yeah, that's the one. That's correct. So you know, it was good to be. I tried to get Jay Lee to sign a copy of Namor, but he had left to go catch. Missed by minutes. Minutes. So and we got to watch Peach Momoko paint a lot. Yes, <laughs> and I may have in my field of vision as we speak <gasps> a print by Peach Momoko signed. Uh, that is gorgeous mm. to look at. Uh, I may be, I, I may be convinced to pass it forward. <laughs> you know, we will see. We will that's see. Gonna, uh, that's going to look gorgeous in my house. <laughs> in theory. <laughs> what? <laughs> you got to get it first. <laughs> but no. After all my, gotta get them all. No. It's it's in there. Let me tell you. I don't think any. I don't think Peach Momoko anticipated how much of how much buzz there was going to be around her. Because what was interesting, Steve, when you were messaging me, just so you know, I look behind the curtains, listeners. Steve is sending screenshots of where she's located on the artist alley floor in our chat. <laughs> While he's doing that, we're literally standing next to her uh, her booth, yeah. and we're like, "Yeah, there's no way." <laughs> we're like. No. There are a million yeah. people here. We're, she we're uh, never gonna get she there. posted she posted a she posted an apology I think either earlier today or yesterday about just her overall con performance and experience and just how a lot of things caught her off guard and she feels like she let a lot of people down with how disorganized things were um, and that you know she'll you know, be looking to do better in the future. I call it being a victim of your own success. You know, absolutely. Yeah. With you. That, that's really what it was. You know, there was she's your work speaks for itself and it spoke to people and they wanted it to be near it or a part of it. And so that's what happened. But yeah, as, as Steve's, as that thing pops up in my phone in my chat, I'm like, I know exactly where she is. I'm looking right at her. There yeah. she is right there. I can't get any closer, but I'm looking right at her. And looking <laughs> oh, at her table, <laughs> where what she has is either original artwork, which is uh, stunning, yeah, or business yeah. cards. <laughs> and she's she's everything else is gone already. It's just and oh, just just oh. see, a victim of your own success. Just that yeah. that popular that quickly and all earned, completely all earned. But hundred percent, hundred percent, yeah. Also, we watching her paint was a trip, though. Watching her paint the th- do the work was as as oh, good man. a blessing as anything else. 
Yeah, it was weird because it was like this gap, this like weird sort of eye of the storm gap where there was no one there and she's just sitting there with her watercolor just painting and Bob and I are just leaning up against the pole just watching like <laughs> a bunch of freaks. <laughs> just, just washing her paint. And then, you know, we were like, okay, we got to go meet so-and-so somewhere. We did also see on the floor some original Kirby pages that were on sale for 55 grand. Yeah. <laughs> we're like, ooh, yikes. Um, but no, it, again, to be in the space, to be, you know, be able to talk to creators, you know, to get, hear some of the things that are, you know, on the minds of creators as they try to shape, you know, the medium to be a little bit more inclusive and to tell better stories and to tell more authentic stories that, you know, are not just one dimensional, but two, three and, you know, four dimensional, you know, um, it was encouraging. I, I'm, I was encouraged by, you know, some of the things that I heard Eve Ewing say, um, and, and, and Danny Lore uh, and Cody Ziegler and, you know, some of those, you know, those creators, how they are looking forward to just impacting the, the medium by not necessarily shoving LGBTQIA, you know, content in your faces for the sake of doing it, but by writing stories that recognize that it's just a reality. It's just a reality of our existence. Our, our existence is complicated and ever present, you know, or like Thanos, we are inevitable, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just what it is. Um, and the story should reflect that and be written in a way so that it's not a, this story is entirely a spotlight on the fact that this person is queer, but rather this person is queer because it's a part of the landscape of every story. You know, it just right. it really is. Yeah. So, and as as we know, heard it, we, we went to we went to a panel that wasn't supposed to be what we were going to. Is something that had gotten canceled, and it was uh, queer in the mainstream. And yeah. you, Phil Jimenez, Amy Reader, uh, some great great people on this panel, Donna and I believe, Ford, yeah, yeah Tana Ford. I believe it was uh, Tana and Phil were in this conversation about well, the whole idea is if if there are more characters of more diversity, the pressure is then not on them, anyone to represent everyone all the time. Yeah. And that makes for just a, a, a richer experience. And that's just pretty, pretty cool. That's uh, gotta be a really tough thing to balance. I think I, I would think for creators in terms of trying to not overdo it, but also trying to represent at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not like make making, it the sole characteristic, right? Right, like making making it casual, but not making it like that aspect of it being all about uh, like all a part of the story. Um, mm -hmm. I'm probably not wording it correctly. I'm no, sorry, you're doing it just, perfectly. I think you know not, what I mean. It's not the yeah. entire story. It's not uh, the right. Entire thank you, story thank you. That's what I meant to say. So there were a couple of things, um, not major breaking news. And you can probably find all of these things if you you know scour CBR or something like that. But some things that I thought were really near and dear to our hearts uh, at one of the panels, the, the Marvel comics fanfare panel. Um, actually, no, it was a little bit later, but the, the uh, later panel that Marvel had, when they were talking a little bit about some of the books coming out, Umberto Ramos was there um, and mentioned that strange Academy finals. Number one will be coming out soon. Um, and it's essentially a culmination. I think it's a six issue arc and it's a culmination of everything that they built up so far. And he did say, that, you know, as you've watched, similar to Harry Potter style, as you watch the, the series continue, you've seen it get darker and darker. 
um, and that we should expect that to continue, <laughs> you know, when this new arc, sorry, new arc comes up. And he showed some of the pages. Um, and I tell you what, the man does not disappoint, does not disappoint at all. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Uh, something else that they talked about was the, they, they pushed this a lot. And this may be for some people and it may not be for some people. Um, I know Bob and I talked about it. Um, they have, if you have the Marvel Unlimited app, they have what's called their Infinity Comics. They come up pretty much daily. It's a variety of stories, some of which are in continuity, um, you know, but they get to tell stories that are a little bit more nuanced than maybe in your, your monthly books. Um, but you can see if you open up the comics, the uh, Marvel Unlimited app, you'll be able to see there's a whole section for Infinity Comics. It's, it's original content, original content that essentially they push something out, a few things out at least five days a week. Um, and so they ask people to, you know, look there because you might, you'll be able to see sort of additional content where there's going to be some other stories. And there's going to be some stories that are specific, but there were some also some interesting announcements that I think are going to make some people happy um, at the Marvel voices panel. Eve viewing was there when John Jennings and Danny Lawrence, Steve Orlando and Cody Ziegler and Sarah Bromstad. Um, and they did mention that there's going to be a Marvel Voices Heritage or trade paperback coming soon, which is something that I'm looking forward to, and also something called My Superhero is Black, which is going to be talking about exactly what's in the name. Um, so that's going to be something interesting. Uh, uh, they talked about uh, Wakanda number one, uh, Wakanda Forever number one, coming out uh, in February of 2023 which is going to be interesting. Cody Ziegler talked about Miles Morales Spider-Man number one coming out in December. Um, and he, they, they talked, I'm sorry, they talked more about, I've, as you've heard me mention in the past, Miles developing more of a personality, more of an identity as Spider-Man separate from Peter and separate from the spider family. And they're going to dig into that deeper. Um, what I know will make Bob happy is that there is a Monica Rambeau photon number one coming out in February of 2023 yes. written by Eve Ewing. Um, and essentially basically it's going to show you exactly how powerful she is, uh, but in a variety of ways, you're going to see her flex the limits of her power, but not just her superpowers, but her ability as a black woman to juggle so many things, family struggles, personal struggles, acceptance struggles, place in the world struggles along with, you know, reconciling her at one point being the leader of the Avengers, but in also at the same time, almost being non-existent in the pages of Marvel since then, you know, so going to be some interesting takes that she's going to bring to that into the fold. Um, again, I also mentioned my superhero was black. Um, it's going to look at comics and entertainment and examine basically how those characters are reflected in that media. Uh, That's by John Jennings. And then John Jennings is also writing silver surfer ghost light. Number one. That comes out in, in February of 2023, and it's it may not be what you expect, but I think it's going to make people who, have, who understand the history of Silver Surfer happy uh, because there is a character that is essentially a legacy character that is going to gain powers by something that you'll be able to essentially scroll back through Marvel Unlimited, you know, to past issues and see that happened that had an impact. Um, and when I say scroll back, I mean way back. Um, and so this character is going to be resurrect in the sort and, and and take a role as a hero, uh, which is going to be interesting. Steve Orlando talked about uh, his work with Sarah Pacelli for Wanda. I'm sorry, Scarlet Witch number one. 
she's still evil. Anyway, uh, Stop. Number one. <laughs> more Wanda's than anything else on the floor cosplaying this year. Yeah, from little girls to grown ups to to, got, to gender bent, and yeah. and we, Aaron and I talked a lot about her over the weekend. That yeah, you know, the, the, she needs a, another redemption arc after she already had one because the movie kind of crapped on her. Yeah, but people exactly. love Wanda and the fact that she did get the Wanda Vision thing, and then yeah, it got turned around. But people still love the Wanda. Yeah. So what he talked about from from that perspective is actually kind of relating. Um, again, him and uh, Sarah Pacelli writing this comes out in January twenty His perspective on Wanda is that she has long suffered from the mistakes that she has made and that she has gone on redemption tour after redemption tour. But what he wanted to focus on was her being that mentor or that person for others like her who are who are having to suffer and sort of redeem themselves from the mistakes. And maybe if someone had been there for her mental health and been there to help support her in a way that wasn't, you know, manipulative or abusive, that maybe she would have made better choices, you know, along the way eventually. Um, and so it's, they're, they're putting her in that space. Uh, it's going to talk about her chosen family, et cetera, et cetera. So it's going to be interesting. Uh, also, uh, Bishop War College number one comes out in January. I'm sorry, February 2023. That's written by John Holtham. Um, not a whole lot mentioned about that. I think it's literally going to be like what's in the name, um, sort of a, a training ground, if you want to call it that. Um, so it's going to be interesting. You know, he's got his role on the Marauders, and I think that sort of he's they're sort of separating him from there. You have Crypt of Shadows number one, uh, which is sort of a, a another one of those. Um, Marvel Voices books, but it's got a long list of, of creators and contributors that are basically everyone that I mentioned on the previous panel, which is going to be interesting. Um, you have, I'm almost done. You have, oh, <laughs> and this is where it got interesting. This one, this is the one, Go, please. So, Bloodline Daughter of Blade number one. Yes. Ooh. Is coming out. Yes. Only Dan three Moore. years late. <laughs> yes. It's coming out uh, February 2023. Danny Lore almost had me in tears because they have loved this character forever. And they told a story of growing up and their, their home life and, and all that stuff. And, and the blessings of being able to do what you love and have free reign to create a character in the way that you want to create it. They just broke down in tears and just the gratitude and the humility was just it was, I mean, I, I, I got all choked up, I, I, you know, just sort of seeing someone living their dream. So that that is going to be great. Um, basically, they said, you know, they love to make characters and sort of build them to reflect the, the experience they had growing up, to look like the people that they, they grew up with and to, to behave as the, like the people they grew up with and not like an archetype that has been created in the comics industry. So that's going to be great. Um, there is, uh, um, werewolf by night coming, uh, continuing to hit the, uh, Mar there's a bunch of Marvel infinity books that are coming out. So you can check out Marvel infinity books on your own. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's some other things there. I'm not going to go into everything else now because it could take forever, but uh, those are some of the hot points I wanted to, to hit on. I thought were, were going to be interesting things to, to look forward to the moon, the new moon girl and devil dinosaur run is yes. going to be coming out uh, pretty With soon. The cartoon. Didn't yeah. get to see the panel. Didn't get to see the animation, except what I've seen in the in trailer. But Lawrence Fishburne's producing that, and it looks yeah. spectacular. Apparently, they've already greenlit a season, I believe, season two. But that's really oh, that's great news. 
Um, the one interesting thing about the book that's coming out is that um, Lunella is, in order to go undercover or to sort of develop a cover, she has to have some. She has to get something she's never really had, or she doesn't really have, and that's friends. So she goes into uh, sort of a roller derby scenario. That's gonna, you know, they have the they have the panels on the screen. It's gonna hilarity is gonna ensue. That I can tell you that right now. Um, but the objective is gonna be, even though she's the smartest person in the universe, um, she still needs friends to sort of mm-hmm. build her humanity. One who isn't um, a ten ton T Rex. Yeah. Yep. And then. A bunch of X books coming out. The one I think uh, Joey might love is The Rogue and Gambit Number One by Stephanie Phillips. Uh, that's coming out in March. Um, and then I think there is one other one. Oh, there you go. The Betsy Braddock Captain Britain Number One by Teeny Howard coming Ooh. out in February of 2023. So Ooh. Betsy leaves Krakoa and takes on the multiverse. So it's going to be interesting. And you mentioned a whole bunch of Rachel Summers stuff, uh, who I love. Oh, I haven't yeah. seen nearly enough of over the years. So. Teeny doing that, so, yeah. I'm in. Definitely. Teeny's doing it. So yeah, that's gonna be it's gonna be fun. There's a lot of stuff coming. Again, the majority of that stuff is a good portion of that stuff are written by either allies of or members of the LGBTQIA community or uh, or some other community that will add a layer to I think comics that I'm I'm hopeful anyway, that will add a layer to comics that we don't always get to see, um, but won't necessarily change the entire dna of the book you know what i mean so it's going to be interesting and i will shut up now oh you don't hey, have to think shut where up. we were 10 years stuff. ago yeah when we when we were 10 years ago or when i was a kid and in comics at that point there was ramona Fraden at dc and marie severin at marvel and that was your in in air quotes minority representation and eventually billy graham worked for marvel Okay. Wow. And the the books reflected all that, and uh, that was fifty years ago. But even ten years ago, uh, when we started this, where things were and where we are now, it's slow, too slow by far. But the change is palpable. You can see it, and you can see the audiences reacting, the crowds at these panels, the crowds on the floor, and the people they are cosplaying as. The artists mm-hmm. they're gravitating towards to, to 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 listen to what they have to say or to buy products from, it, it's opening up. It's it's starting. To, you know that world outside the window that Stanley wants to tell stories about. It's starting to happen, and that's just amazing. Glad to be part of that. Yeah, gonna be fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward. To now the it. biggest thing though we didn't mention, and I can't imagine we both forgot to do this. Steve Empanadas. Incredible. <laughs> On the show floor, downstairs downstairs at Artist Alley, the greatest empanadas I've ever had. Steve, You're welcome. Simply, no joke. S- simply incredible. The empanada they introduce new flavors. They have mushroom, they have sausage, they Portobello have mushroom and beef. spinach. Yes. Look, I'm not gonna yeah, say that I've I've written a couple of emails about the empanada situation, but I might have written a couple of emails. About <laughs> uh, really? Okay. Empanada situation. So you're welcome. <laughs> I mean, they, they, they upped their game this time. Last year was bad. Last year was. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. Last year was like eating straw in, a, in pastry and it was a good pastry. Uh, it really was. I, I remember distinctly making the noise particularly after I had one of them. I don't know. If that was, I don't know if Not that this time around. Just to, uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Just to circle back to uh, to what you were saying about the 
kind of the the times changing and the the temperature of of comics creators and and representation changing. Uh, I'm not going to go through the entire email, uh, but we did get a very lovely, very lengthy, yes. uh, and very much appreciated email. Uh, you know who you are out there, uh, talking about being a person of color and kind of growing up with a certain level of shame might not be the right word, but you know how kids are and how people can be picked mm-hmm. on for being different and for having different interests. And comic books weren't only always the cool thing, you know, nerddom was not something to broadcast mm-hmm. about yourself. And um, so this person kind of stepped away from comics for a time. And then in getting back to it, uh, had found our show and has found a lot of great recommendations since listening and stuff like that. And um, just this really tremendous email about how we've arrived at a place where you can proudly proclaim your love for these characters and these themes and these things and finding your community nowadays. And especially being in like your forties and fifties and going through that long stretch of not Mm -hmm. being able to find people that you identify with in this way um, and feeling alone in those interests and in that love for so long. Um, so I just want to give a shout out to that listener and for writing in that email. Uh, and just to say that we really do appreciate you uh, listening to us and then being a part of this and sharing your experience with us. It was uh, it was a tremendous thing to read and uh, we yes, appreciate it, it. You share your experience with us and it's just, and I think it's an experience that we have all you know, had as well. Yeah. So yeah, it's a, it's almost like I want to say, you know, being a nerd didn't become popular until 2008, you know, when, you know, when the youth yeah. you know, and then everyone was a nerd all of a sudden, but, um, you know, I, I, I it's very appreciative because he's right. You didn't always have the, opp- well, not only do you not always have the opportunity to express your nerd without, you know, catching one in the face, you know, or, or being picked <laughs> on or teased or something, you know, there just wasn't a lot of, connectivity between the community so you know i guess if there's a silver lining to the interwebs it's that we can all connect now and, and do things like this show amen all right, there you have all right bob why don't you uh take us out here on the nycc stuff oh i did i just did it was empanadas. Oh, that was your, okay that was your thing you wanted <laughs> that was to my goofy thing yes i just okay. did um, all right. I can you- wax poetic about the empanadas. Don't get me. I could do another ten minutes, but well, they did have the the breakfast of champions. You know, what's that? They they did have a whole new Asian corner. I had I had bow on the floor, kind of floor. Yes. Oh my god. Yeah. Uh, Carolyn had a big thing of noodles. Uh, they had ramen. They had Nathan's. They, kept, they had Nathan's. They had Nathan's <laughs> hot dogs on the floor. Yeah. Real Nathan's hot dogs. They had hot, had a hot pot on the floor. <laughs> I have such a hardcore craving for some New York or Long Island foods. It's been getting to me lately. I've been away for too long. Should I uh should I go through my lightning round? Sure. <laughs> I think you're sticking hearing Bob and my voice, so yes. How's the damn? <laughs> right. Um I'm gonna run through some of my weekend really quick and then I'll I'll get to my books. Cause I've been having a good time here in Ottawa for Thanksgiving weekend, Canadian Thanksgiving. Um we arranged for family photos to be taken, which sounds grueling. It was actually quite pleasant. It was the most painless family photo session I've ever encountered. Everybody was together. Everybody was smiling. Kids were behaving. It was nice. So we got lots of uh, cool photos on the way. Bronwyn and I ended up dressing 
almost exactly the same unprompted. We didn't consult each other about our outfits before we came out here. And then we walked out of the room and I was like, oh, no. So we totally look like that matching couple. Uh, not on purpose, but it ended up being really funny anyway. Um, Thanksgiving was wonderful. Food was great. Uh, one of the Thanksgiving traditions that we've managed to uh, create for myself is uh, my brother-in-law, Russell, likes to grow his own plants. And he has been saving them for me each year because this is around uh, harvest season, maybe a couple more weeks. Uh, I've got my own pair of shears and I got my headphones and I sat outside in the sun next to the fire pit for a couple of hours trimming some trees. And it was, uh, it was Zen. It was a good time and I would do it any day of the week. So if you've got plants that need trimming, just cart my ass out there. I'll do it for you. My azaleas Um, are kind of wild. I don't know if you do azaleas. I would, I would do azaleas. I don't know. I find something very, very calming about like gardening Mm -hmm. and, trimming and you know getting things ready for harvest season that kind of thing uh another thing that i did my other brother-in-law bronwyn's brother ian ian has a kick-ass telescope that he got from a friend of his they've been holding on to and i don't know if you know this but right now jupiter is the closest that it will ever be to us for the next hundred years so last night we went out on the porch And we set up the telescope, and the first thing we aimed it at was the moon. So I got to see the moon totally close up, looking at all the craters, all the stuff going on on there. It was absolutely beautiful. And then we pointed it towards Jupiter, and I got to see a nice close-up view of Jupiter and four moons surrounding it, and even saw some of the storms happening on Jupiter blowing around like you could see little bits of mm-hmm. movement in the yeah, in, storms the, the size of the earth one should mention yeah it was it was incredible it was really awesome to be able to see that stuff in real time and knowing that you're you know pointing this thing at the sky and and the thing coming back as this distant planet uh totally inspired bronwyn and i to pick up uh, our own telescope in uh Maybe in the coming months, we're going to do oh, some it's, research. It's an, it's an incredible thing to do. I've, we had friends do that, and we would sit in their backyard. They lived out in Mastic, so the light pollution was much less. Yep. And you just sit outside. And they, had, they had a lovely hot tub, so you'd sit, you'd have some wine, go back to the hot tub. We'd watch meteor showers and things. Uh, you're going to love it, Steve. You're going to absolutely love doing that. It was amazing. So the one of the other things that I did yesterday was i went shopping to go and uh pick up a new digital watch for bronwyn new smartwatch, and i'm walking to the fossil store and i look in the window and i see a display of all of the hot ones hot sauces bob are you familiar with hot ones is that the the, the youtube channel guy yes yes the it's the the interview yeah, show the guy. Mm-hmm. yeah i am so, very familiar there's this place called Chili Chili's that's out here in Ottawa, and I go inside, and they have the entire season 18 lineup. Uh, like, I mean, this place was stocked wall to wall to wall with with hot sauces, but they had all the the sauces that are famous from the show. Me being a huge fanboy and having no shame, I went over to the thing and I bought the classic, the Los Calientes Barbacoa, which is one of the new ones, a smokier one. And I bought a bottle of the last dab, 
which is 2.5 million Scovilles. Scoville? Yeah. Okay. The hottest sauce that they have on the show. And uh, we ordered some chicken nuggets to the house, and we started dipping the sauces. Classic, very mild, very tasty. Definitely looking forward to putting that on some wings. The same thing with the Los Calientes Barbacoa, which is a heat level of four, which is not much, but it wasn't hot. It was just sweet and really tasty. And then we got to the last dab and I'm like, I got a milkshake ready. I'm prepared for the worst. I'm ready to go in and regret it. Maybe I bought this. It's just going to end up being a novelty that sits on the shelf after the one time. So we load these nuggets up and Bronwyn decided to join me for all of this. So her and I are doing this together. And we were like, cheers, knock the nuggets together, put them back. When I tell you they are hot, I'm not going to lie to you. They're, they're hot and they do build and the burn kind of stays with you for a while, but more so absolutely delicious. Like if you can tolerate it, it is so good. It is. It was so good that we dipped more in and had seconds and then also had it for breakfast. So like, how did you how did you deal with that? My gosh, I never yeah. I never thought you were for one for spicy. I love spicy food. I love spicy oh. food. You would never think with all of my my stomach issues and my Crohn's yeah. and all my things, but I love hot food, but didn't know what to expect. Like I bought it I bought it because we were all together, me and Bronwyn, her brother and um uh Steph, his wife, and we were all just going to, you know, go all in and have a have a real tough time with all these hot sauces. And instead of them being this like trial of endurance, they just ended up being tasty as hell. And like I said, it's hot. I'm not going to lie to you. It was hot, but it wasn't overpowering. It wasn't paralyzing. It ended up just being delicious. And yeah, we had it. We, we finished off the nuggets with them. Uh, I had more of the last dab for breakfast this morning. And I love it. And I'm so glad that I was able to get my hands on some and bringing it back to the house. I also got this like chili infused honey. Um, I got, I, I loaded up. I spent maybe a little too much money in there, but anyway. Well, Hey, Hey, nerd, nerd alert, just in case uh, on, hmm. on an episode, one of the people who beat the hot sauce gamut uh, yeah. is Brie Larson. Oh yeah. Yeah. Brie she Larson took it. him out. Yeah. You should watch, uh, you should watch Charlize Theron's, uh, episode okay she, she doesn't even flinch she just wow. she just downs all of them like it's nothing and i mean i don't she's know the atomic what, blonde after all come on yeah. right <laughs> like i know that they adjust the lineup specifically to kind of be a little bit of a roller coaster like it peaks around the eighth wing and then and then comes mm-hmm. back down but um that sauce being the hottest one that they offer and kind of going from one to four to ten um, I don't know if it was a good ramp up, but it ended up being just really, really tasty. And and I'm I'm like, instead cool. of it basically being something that we bought, we tried it. It was horrible, and now the bottle is just going to sit. It's actually right. going to be eaten because it's it's absolutely delicious. Right, I've had people buy some insane things, and it's they've used three drops of it. Yeah. Like your mileage may vary. I'm not going to recommend that everybody yeah. go out and do this. I'm just saying if you like hot sauce and you like tasty ass hot sauce, it's a really, really good way to go. Um, do I they have it. a website that one can buy the hot sauce from? They do. Uh, chili we Chilies. Should, we should share in the – what is it? Chili Choice? 
Uh, chili chilies. Chili's chili. chili. I, I don't know. I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll, I'll share yeah, it. Yeah, set, put it in the notes. Yes. All right. Um, but let's move on to books. Woo! Uh, so obviously reading time has been a little limited with all the traveling and all the socializing and everything. But I did manage to read a couple of things. First book that I'll talk about is Batman One Bad Day, Two-Face Number One. Script by Mariko Tamaki, art by Javier Fernandez, uh, colors by Jordi Belair, and letters by Ariana Mar. The story is about Batman clinging to the notion that the Two-Face persona hasn't in- been like entirely consumed Harvey Dent. Uh, Harvey comes to Batman and asks him to investigate a mysterious letter sent to Harvey's father, who's throwing a big party for his 88th birthday. Who sent the letter? What did they have planned? So on and so forth. Um, well, I found aspects of the mystery to be a bit predictable. The delivery of events are rock solid. Uh, Tamaki does a great job of showcasing Harvey's struggle with his inner Two-Face and the flack that Bruce gets from the Bat family for never learning from his past mistakes is really, really well done. Uh, the art has this inky autumnal look to it with some of the pages looking straight up out of an EC horror comic book. I really, really liked it. Um, we get some brief fun with Stephanie Brown, uh, a peek into Harvey's family and how they might have contributed to his fragile mental state. Uh, it's good. I don't think it was as impactful or didn't leave as much of an as much of an impression as the Riddler book from Tom King, but it's definitely a great chapter in this uh, one bad day series that they've launched. I'm, I'm looking forward to reading the rest of these for sure. Uh, another Batman related book that I checked out was Gotham city year one, number one. This is written by Tom King with pencils by Phil Hester inks by Eric Gasper. Um, Gasper, Gasper, sorry. Colors by Jordi Belair again, and letters by Clayton Cowles. This follows Samuel Bradley, a private detective who used to work for the DA. He's asked to deliver a letter to Richard Wayne and he gets the Wayne Manor and a few people there, they're very much on edge because their baby daughter has been taken. And Bradley unknowingly just delivered part of the ransom instructions. He's named in the letter, but doesn't know why. So with little to go on, the Waynes and their security become suspicious of Bradley and basically take him hostage and begin to work him over. Eventually, the Waynes accept that Bradley um, is in, in as much of the dark as they are about things, and they decide to hire him to investigate the letter's origin. Uh, it's a really good start to a Gotham noir story. I like Bradley a lot as the protagonist, and it's fun seeing an early Gotham and meeting the characters who were alive during those early days. Uh, the art by Phil Hester is the best that I've seen from him. And I used this comparison last week, but I seem to be running into art that gives me a lot of Hellboy vibes. And this definitely has that. There's also kind of a Sin City-like angular quality to it that I'm really enjoying. Uh, it's gothic, it's moody, and it suits the story's tone so completely. And as always, the color work from Jordi Belair is just exceptional. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to seeing it move forward. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, Hell is a squared circle. Ooh, uh, we were both, looking forward to this. I, yeah. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Both, both John and I read this, and I, I don't want to speak for him, but I know in the chat that he expressed being a little disappointed with this. <laughs> um, oh, did he? So this is, this is written. Yeah, he was a little less 
<laughs> nice about it than I was. <laughs> Written by Chris Condon with art by Francesco uh, Biagini. Uh, colors by Mark Englert and letters by David Sharp. Okay. I expected to like this more than I did, given the Chris Condon-ness of it all. Um, this was also coming off. I had caught up with uh, that Texas blood. I'm not going to talk about it on the show. Suffice to say, it's still excellent. Really loving the new arc. I think there's one more issue to go, and then that story will be wrapped up. Hope it's continuing. Really love that series. Um, but I'm not sure that Hell is a Squared Circle landed for me. Uh, the story focuses on a down-and-out wrestler who's destroyed his life over time, almost as if he's being haunted by demons waiting to claim his soul. The art is really intense. It's hyper-colorful. Uh, and has what I can only describe as an 80s color palette and feel. There's lots of hot greens and pinks and electric blues. Um, it's got a lot of detail. So when there are like bulging muscles or strained faces and gritted teeth, you can really feel it coming off the page, which is cool. Like that's yeah. one of the the positives of the book is that it is it really does put you in that world. Um, so that's very cool. My issue with the book stems from the story feeling incomplete. It is a 45-page one-shot that feels like a double-sized number one of something larger. Um, I felt like I was on a roller coaster, and in like the final pages, we were going up, 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 and then just stopped at the top and never came back down the other side. I turned the page, and there was an ad, and it was over, and I was like, whoa, what? Um, so yeah, um, it takes skill to pull an ending off like this. And obviously it can be done. I think maybe it works a little bit better in film. Um, I'm just not sure that it hit me the way that the team wanted it to. Uh, I had pretty high expectations for this coming off of my love for Condon's work, uh, on that Texas blood and the story, like I said, just kind of stops, uh, it reminds me of like a Tales from the Crypt or a Tales from the Dark Side episode okay. um, with like, yeah. And like, and those aspects of it were good. And I, I really do think artfully it leaves an impression, um, which is, you know, it's great. But I just, I don't know, like reading Do a Powerbomb and coming off of that Texas Blood, I think that my expectations were perhaps a bit outlandish uh, for something. And maybe, I don't know. Um, I have a hard you start time. to mention Tales from the Crypt and uh, Tales from the Dark Side, those sort of things are Twilight Zone. There are a lot of people who try to do those things. If you don't get that right, if you don't get that switch, the turn quite right, it, it's going to always leave you flat. Yeah, like I, not to talk too much about like the end of the book, because it really is – it like a whole bunch of stuff happens at the end in the last couple of pages where you can feel like I compared it to a roller coaster. You could feel the car going up, 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 up and ratcheting up this tension of this wrestler just being in a terrible position, seeing this person in the crowd that's kind of been following them throughout the story, realizing that like the person that they're in the ring with wants them dead and kind of reveals their identity and it's, it's all these really, really, really heightened things. And it goes up, 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 up. And then you turn the page and bam, you're hit in the face with credits and uh, ad for another series coming out of Aftershock. And it just stops. And like I said, I think that that can really work for some people. 
And maybe in time, as like we get to thinking about end of the year things and everything that I read and kind of going through like a mental inventory of all the stuff, it might hit me differently. But I have a really hard time reading stories where I don't have a character to root for or a character to like or want to see through to the other side. And I didn't like anyone in this story. Like the main character is a miserable human being. There's nothing redemptive about him whatsoever. He has an opportunity to redeem himself at one point in the story and pretty much does the exact opposite um, and doesn't show any remorse. So it's it was a bit much for me to warm to. Um, I think some people will really get a kick out of it. I think it's cool that there's this surge of wrestling-related comics that are coming out. Yeah. Um, and maybe if I have if I hadn't been reading Do a Power Bomb, this would have landed differently for me. But oh. for right now, um, I wish that I had liked it more than I did. So that's my analysis of that. Take it for what you will. Uh, last but not least on my list, this is K-A-Y-A. I'm gonna say Kaya number one. Uh, story art and design by Wes Craig of uh, Deadly Class Fame. Oh. With colors by, yeah, this was this was good. Uh, colors by Jason Wordy and letters by And World Design. So Kea is a brother-sister survival tale in a fantasy world filled with lizard people, barren wastelands, and an endless search for food. Kea and her brother are the only survivors after their village was laid to waste, and their mission involves completing instructions left to them on ancient scrolls that hold their people's history. Uh, Kea and her brother are established very, very fast in the opening pages of this. You can hear the history of their relationship and their bickering and see it in Kea's body language as she becomes quickly exasperated by her brother's immaturity and foolishness throughout their journey. Um, very, very confidently and quickly establishes its world. Uh, there's also a lot of great uh, world building in this first issue. We we've only seen like so much as far as the land is concerned. Uh, there's a run in with these lizard people that tells you a lot about the lands beyond and where we might be going. Um, Craig also does a great job of showing the passing of time throughout this issue, which is not something that I always notice, but at the start of the book, we kind of come into this and we're in the blazing hot sun and it's the midday and it's beating down on them and it's, you know, draining them making them dehydrated and hungry at the start of the book. But as they travel throughout the day, you can see the sky cooling and everything becoming dusk. And you have those purples and pinks coming in slowly, but surely. And it completely changes the color palette of the story as it moves along. And it looks gorgeous throughout the book. It's a really cool way of kind of like delineating where you are in time um, throughout the events of that day and how they arrive at, uh, kind of their capture and their situation toward the end. Um, I came to this looking for more outstanding art by Craig uh, after the masterful job he did on Deadly Class, but I also got a great story set up and characters that I really want to follow and know more about. So I'm going to call Kea number one a complete success because I've added it to my pull list and I'm totally on board. Um, I think if you're a fan of Deadly Class or enjoy Wes Craig's artwork, uh, throughout that series, you're definitely going to want to check this out because it's that artist, but 
indulging in a completely different style and presentation. There, there isn't one single page of this that isn't interesting or gorgeous or presents you with characters that are complex and feel like they're really going to grow throughout time. And there's also like fighting and a little bit of like mechanical superpower kind of thing. Um, it's a total package comic and I, I absolutely loved it. So that's um, Kaya number one. And uh, Hell is a Squared Circle, Gotham City Year One, number one, and Batman One Bad Day, Two Face, number one, are my books. Kaboom. Any questions? Any comments? So, oh, what kind of comments did you hear of Batman? <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, is it every year the year of Batman? <laughs> we, we were talking about this. I, I'm only bringing this up because Chris and I were talking about this, about how, you know, there seems to be these waves and how, you know, at one point at Marvel, it was like the, the moment of the Avengers when it was all Avengers all the time. Do you think that's, we're, we're there now for Batman at DC and that this is kind of where we're going to be going? My I question would be in capital letters with a question mark after it now. <laughs> every, every year for the last 10 we, we, right now how many Batman books are there or Batman related Batman adjacent 14, 15, 16 in a given month there are a lot there's a lot of I think, out there man I think that it has, it has to do with any number of things but a few things that it probably has to do with is people like me people who get on the Batman train and find the ride enjoyable and if you put a new batman book in front of their face they might not buy everyone but they'll at least check it out they'll at least look at it and when you're putting these you know top level creators on these books and you're offering people like Jordi Belair and Tom King and all of these other super talented people to play with the toy box that is the Gotham universe cuz there's all of DC but there's enough stuff in Batman to keep people busy for years and years and years and years. And I just think, yes, there is a lot of it, but there's also a lot to play with. And a lot of the stuff doesn't step on each other's toes. So a lot of people get to basically pretend like that other stuff isn't happening and tell their own stories within that universe. And DC cares very little about tying it mm. to other stories or continuity or anything like that. So anybody coming into Batman, pretty much if they pitch the right story, DC is willing to say, sure, there are infinite Bat verses. Go for it. So that's my take on it. And I'm sure I'm sure they're all of high quality. Well, I mean, isn't it yes self, no. isn't it self isn't it self limiting your audience? You don't, you can't sure. put out an unlimited amount of books in the course of a month, and if you're going to put out more Batman books than everything else put together, you're not putting out um, Supergirl. You're not putting out Blue Beetle. You're not putting out a, a, a half a million other books that might be out there that might address a different audience. I think, and that limits of- who you're selling books to. Yes, absolutely. I agree with you 100%. I also think that Batman butters the bread over at DC. And, yeah. and you're, you're right, but 
what is their market share now compared to when they had a broader palette? Oh yeah, not not as good. Oh no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not condoning these decisions. I think. A no, lot I'm of not saying you are. No, I, I'm, I'm, you, you're, you're right, and and you're quite right to to to, to say yeah, it butters the bread. It's a. Actually, I mentioned something like this to Aaron the other day. This is a. Have you ever watched Kitchen Nightmares with Gordon Ramsay? I try not to. <laughs> he, walks, he walks into a failing restaurant where there are three people sitting at tables, and the guy says, I can't change anything. I'll lose my customers. Well, you don't have any customers. So <laughs> That's why he's here. At, right. At, at a certain level, if if you keep reinforcing the same things over and over and over again, and your market share continues to fall, except when you have 14 covers of something and your book sells really well, Batman sells as well as anything they have, their Batman mainline book. But all these others take away from what might be where you could grow an audience that isn't the Batman audience, that is the Zatanna audience. That might be the Flash audience or the Teen Titans or the Doom Patrol or the Gotham Academy audience, or some of those other things, and great, I, they could make as many high quality Batman books as they wanted, as long as they, to me, balance them with high quality something else. Mm-hmm. From a business so model the, standpoint, part of the reason, part of the reason why I brought that up is because it was fresh in my mind after you know looking at some of the outcome of the Jim Lee panel, uh, where he was talking about things coming up at DC, and a lot of his announcements were. And I think CBR did a really good wrap up uh, of it. So if you want to go see, look there. I mean, there were a lot of stuff focused on, you know, the milestone imprint, but there was cool. a lot of Batman, Batman versus this or Batman with that, or this Batman villain, that Batman villain, Batman teaming up with the Joker, Batman doing all these. So there's a lot more coming. So that's why I was asking. That's kind of what fueled okay. the question. There's a lot more Batman centric stuff coming. And I'm like, isn't there like 30 Batman books coming out now? But yeah. I don't mean to knock Batman, who's one of the greatest comic characters ever created. And some of these creators you're talking about are some of the highlights of the industry. Yeah. I, I, I wish oh, there'd I, be more diversity in the lineup. If you were a record company and all you made were, I don't know, Guns N' Roses records, after a while you, you, you'd kind of get tired of that. So yeah, your literally only I'm, I was literally only asking from a, a number from a pure numbers perspective, a pure numbers game. And as and I know Steve as you know, you're someone like you said who's on the Batman train. You know, were you beginning mm-hmm. to feel some of the Batman fatigue, or are you still on the Batman train? You know, kind of similar to the way we felt some of the X Men fatigue after that. Yeah, well, yeah, Marvel's not yeah. immune to this either. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just, so, I uh, mean, that's only what I was asking. Like, I like, I like. I like Batman. Obviously I like Batman, but I just, when you ask me about where I want to spend some of, not all of my comic book reading time, because obviously we read a ton of stuff on the show, but one of the few worlds that I genuinely look forward to going back to is Gotham city. Like I have absolutely zero affinity for Metropolis. I do like Superman. I do like the Superman adjacent characters and family. But as far as a location and city goes, I have nothing on Metropolis. Gotham is a place where I know landmarks. I know people that are in charge. I know the villains. I know the heroes. Um, And I just, 
when I go to Gotham, I feel as terrible as it sounds like there's a part of me that feels like I'm going home and I'm going to like be a fly on the wall of what's happening in my terrible, terrible city. Uh, and so there's a there's a huge appeal to go back to that world for me because I've I've grown up with it. I'm familiar with it. I'm comfortable there, as disturbing as that mm-hmm. sounds. Um, so that's one of the things that that keeps me coming back. As much as I love Batman the character, it is the world that he inhabits that interests me more. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, yeah. and, and they're leaning into that. And uh, to say that across our years as talking comics, how many Batman books have we loved and talked about and been our best of lists at the end of the year? It's just the sheer number of it now seems. Oh, it's out of control. Ludicrous. Yeah. Is, is that too strong? No, I don't. Uh, I do not disagree with you at all. I'm just, I'm still enjoying the ride. Well, no, and, and, and a lot of people do. And I think a lot of people only check out the sidebars or a creator that they love. And, but it's just, it's like, oh boy, it's saturation bombing. Can we just drop as many bat bombs as we can and we'll hit something? And, and it's great. And, and I feel for them as a company, they're trying to make up the debt from AT&T and all the other things going on. And look, let's lean into Batman. Superman is spotty. It works sometimes, doesn't others. We have a Justice League-centric event that is it's garnering a lot of uh, attention and readership and, and, and big numbers. But there are so many smaller things that now are not going to get enough attention because there are, there are the, the people who are at the buffet as you are, Steve, and picking a bat book that they love and not trying to embrace the whole thing. But in the stores I shop and there are people who are all in, literally all in. Mm-hmm. They're in for, I don't know, my electric bill's worth of money for Batman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that also means they're not buying all those other fun books that, that you and John and Aaron are talking about all the time. I've kind of... It's helped me check out of DC, and it's sad because some of my earliest comic reading are DC books, and they have the three greatest comic characters ever created, as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. And there is as much attention paid to those other two greatest characters of all time as there is the one, because as you say, it's where they butter their bread. Uh, DC, l- listen, please, we, we'd like to read some other stuff, too. Print some more books. Make more books. Sorry. Not Sorry, Grant. You don't have Old to apologize. Man, get off my lawn. That's what we're here for. <laughs> it's all good. So, no. Sorry, I didn't mean to go down a tangent. I, I Sorry, know. yes, you triggered me, Aaron. I, I apologize. I <laughs> <tell Dick. laughs> um, if nobody has anything else uh, to ask me, we can uh, move on to the next lightning round. <laughs> Uh, Aaron, why don't you go ahead? Sure. I'm pulling up my notes. So here we go. So yeah, Shaza, damn. So did a couple things. Um, Searched the floor for a variety of different uh, independent books, uh, many of which you'll probably hear me talk about on uh, future episodes. But for this episode, I am starting with one that I think we all got an issue of, and that's Tuskegee Airs number one. Uh, and that is by Marcus Williams and Greg Burnham. 
I believe this book was actually published in 2018, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, but it's something, and I think it's something that I've seen around, but I haven't actually gotten to read an issue of it. Um, I'll just read a little bit of what's on the actual cover. It says, Tuskegee Airs is a futuristic sci-fi adventure that follows a squadron of young, gifted aviators who are forced to become Earth's last line of defense against a menacing race of artificially intelligent villains uh, bent on destroying civilization. So, you know, you start there and work your way out. Uh, We have five characters that are introduced, uh, five primary characters that are introduced, Slip, Genesis, Ayana, Omar, and Abel is joining the team. They are very young, all African-American pilots in a world, uh, I believe 2096, where actual flight, for reasons that I'm not quite sure have been explained in issue one, uh, has been entirely banned. Everything now is done remotely with drones, and actually flying might actually, by law, get you thrown in jail. Uh, However... These guys actually have authority by knowing people in high places uh, or someone knowing someone in high places to actually sort of fly these uh, these planes. Um, and the, the planes that they're flying in the beginning are, are for, for training and testing and they use paintballs, et cetera, et cetera. But these guys have all been trained and they're part of a legacy. Now, the name should give you some clue as to where we're going with this. Um, as I believe we're going to go into it in the future, uh, future issues, uh, you know, talking about Tuskegee Airs, Tuskegee Airmen, you know, Alabama history, blah, blah, blah. Do your research. Um, <laughs> but, you know, uh, we find ourselves sort of getting to know this team and, and, and identifying who their person, what their personalities are, who's the leader, who's the hotshot. You know, who are the sort of dependable stalwart? Who's the new character coming in? Who's incredibly gifted, but completely unaware of of the existence of this space, and it all sort of happens very quickly. Um, and it was interesting. I was looking at the art, and I was looking at how the story was building up. And at one point, I was like, you know, and, I, and this is the God's honest truth. At one point, I'm like, you know, this book is giving me some familiar vibes, but I can't quite place it. Um, anyway, we find ourselves with these guys doing their training exercises until eventually the world shows them that, you know, this isn't training. You're going to actually, actually need to put up now or shut up. And they find themselves embroiled in a, a bit of a, an adventure that came out of nowhere. They, they were kind of, they weren't expecting it. They were training for it, but they weren't expecting it. And now they have to show what they can do. Um, and you know, there, there's, there's a variety of layers to that, um, the realization of what they were actually training for, who's behind it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, you know, and, and having to come to this point, they are given very modern futuristic planes. And that's going to make a, that's going to be, that's a point, a plot point you need to keep in mind um, that they, that, that are really, that are driven by AI and all these other things that are going on um, with it. There is, the technology is so far advanced from what they were flying before Um it really, again, jogged my memory. And I'm like, this really is giving me some familiar vibes. And then all of a sudden I go, this is really giving me Voltron vibes. And then I turn two pages. <laughs> and lo and behold, <laughs> everyone's com- combining to become a big mech. I'm like, well, there you have it. So um, I was just like, all right, I'm on board. I am in. Um, and they wrecked some shop and, you know, there's, I got four issues total. I only read the one today. There's, there's four issues that they were selling. So I'm going to, I'm going to 
push through it and keep reading it and see where it goes. But I was sort of like, this feels familiar. I, I have seen this, you know, sort of vibe before the sort of coming together of the team. It was fun. The art is solid. It is, it's not, it's a little cartoony, but not too cartoony. It's, it's, um, it does a couple of things that Carolyn and I actually talked about over the weekend. And that is, it is reflective of African-American people, but each of them has a different skin tone. Um, they have ethnic oh. hair, they have, you know, uh, different body shapes, um, heights, um, different languages, you know, in the sense of, you know, how they communicate, you know, the cadence of how they communicate. So it's all, it's, it, the time was taken to show that we're not a monolith. So that, that, that was kind of interesting. And so I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. And we actually talked to the creators for a little while and I got their information and we might be talking to them some more. So Ooh. we will see next book number two. Uh, and I put this in here strictly for Joey X-Men 15, <sighs> Jerry Duggan, Josh Guerrero, Joey, the vault is back. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. <laughs> The vault is back and the children are coming out. Um, basically, I don't know if you recall that last time we took a trip into the vault, uh, Laura, Sink, and Darwin went in there and uh, ended up spending, I don't know, several hundred years in the vault. Uh, although we should tell you that the vault works a little bit differently than every, than, than regular time. So that hundred years was, or several hundred years was like, I don't know, a day or so uh, in real time. Um uh, you may recall that Darwin was left behind. Well, in the background, there's been this mission that, you know, Forge was to figure out how to get in there and, and get him out and go on a little bit of a mission. And so the gang is, you know, all there trying to, you know, play through his Mission Impossible sort of Ocean's Eleven type plan uh, to get in there and get him out. But there are some things that some risk associated with it. Uh, they did a little bit of a simulation Basically recognizing that inside the vault, the, the the children of the vault have, even though it's in real time, it's a day or a week or whatever, in their time have had millennia to evolve and change their and, and evolve their powers and, and become better and, and better and better. Um, and so once they if they get out, the reality is who would be able to stop them? Um, and so they have to keep that in mind because they remember their objective is we don't really care about these mutants. We don't really care about these humans. The planet really belongs to us. And when we get out, we're going to take it. So all that's in mind. So uh, the book wraps up as, as Forge is sort of laying out his plan, putting everyone in place to do their part, to go in there with all of his carefully architected technology and Krakona technology to go in there um, and get them out. Uh, and some uh, hopefully in a, smoothly and without issue. But as we saw on the last page, someone's going to have something to say about that. Um, so it's going to be interesting because the devastation was real. And I was just looking like, okay, this, this nothing, nothing's really going to come from this, but it was exciting just to see the vault back and see the children of the vault come out and see what they look like now and see how they can wreck shop. And if you add them into this whole AXE thing, yeah, things are going to go bad. Um, so I just wanted to put that in there for Joey because I know how Joey's uh a fan of the children of the vault. Um, last book, X-Men, I'm sorry, AXE X-Men number one, which is different than X-Men. Uh, this is by Karen Gillen. Um, it, they're, you know, they're still back there trying to kill that celestial. Um, and it's, uh, you know, because he's out there judging people. And basically if he judges, you, if he judges more people as failing as he does as passing, you know, then he's going to destroy the whole planet um, and all of humanity with it. And so everyone is really trying to, 
do their part to make sure they pass. Meanwhile, again, the X-Men and some of the, and some of the Eternals and I guess others uh, who are joining up decide to go on this plan to go from within and try to, to take down the, uh, the Celestial. And again, it's very diehard style. They're inside the Celestial. And they're trying to get to the top floor, essentially, to take out the whatever, whatever that's going to help them take out the Celestial. Um, but along the way, uh, one of our faithful X-Men is, is, you know, is being judged, and that is Gene. And it was an interesting and very emotional uh, set of pages because and when you're being judged, they run through your past and the things that you've done, and they weigh them to see, you know, how do you stack up? And obviously, the first thing that comes up when you judge a Gene Gray is the Phoenix, and then the Dark Phoenix, and then billions of lives being lost because the Dark Phoenix, you know, wanted to see how it felt. Um, and does Jean Grey have to own that? Um, will she ever be able to own that? Will she ever be able to, you know, redeem herself from that? And there was a very interesting argument back and forth uh, between. Jean Grey, and it was interesting between Jean Grey and the Celestial, and it was interesting, and I bring it up because at one point, you know, the Celestial said, you are at times, and quite often, a saint. You know, the things that you do, the lives that you save, the, the you know, the power that you wield in doing so, um, it's great. Then there are other times when you're a, a overpowered bully. <laughs> I was like, ooh, huh? Wow. Um, and you know, the, the examples given are, are, are valid and apparently Mocha feels the same way. Um, <laughs> they are very valid. And so that argument about who or what a Jean Grey is, um, was interesting. Sinister had some things to say about it. Um, having built, having cloned her multiple times and, and having to admit because he was forced to be on, he's forced to tell the truth by the Celestial having to admit that he's built many things like him, some of them like her, many things many things better than the others, but none of them will ever be as good as an actual Jean Grey or better than an actual Jean Grey. And it was interesting to see that all line. It was basically trying to get you to reconcile who is Jean Grey now. And I thought that was an interesting part of the story. In the end, she was pissed because, as Logan said, well, I, I, I don't want to spoil, but it didn't go well for Jean. Um, but as Logan said, you know, Jean is accustomed to being Charles's star pupil and she's not accustomed to not passing. So she's about to wreck some shop. Um, and you're cool. going to see some different things. And it kind, of, it kind of circles back around to prove the point is were those things said to, to see how she would react or whatever. But it was an interesting a little twist on the story. It was more emotional, less, less diehardy in terms of the action, but more um, emotional in terms of the deconstruction of Jean Grey in that, in that issue. So I thought that was an interesting plot. Uh, little plat sidebar there. So there you go. That's my lightning round. Shazadam. Shazadam. Uh, I actually caught up with the X-Men over the past like two weeks. I've been kind of reading it in between. So I am all caught up with the main book. And I do have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When did they change the roster again? Because Hellfire Gala, second Hellfire Gala. Okay. Rogue left. Rogue wanted to go do other things. Right. Um, and uh, Gambit is off. Well, uh, kind of. Gambit is having some issues of uh, a life and death matter when he was with Excalibur. So I'm not really sure how that's going to come up. Um, but yeah, uh, several people decided to, to 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 take their leave to do other mm-hmm. things. 
I gotta say, they uh, they definitely pulled one over on me in fifteen when they started this book out, and they were <laughs> the children were out of the vault and just laying waste to everyone and everything that they could get their hands on. I was like, whoa, like, are we seriously going to like, you know, take all these characters off the board? And then of course there's a twist, but um, I've enjoyed catching up with uh, the X-Men, you know, everybody talking about it for the last couple episodes got me to dive back in. And I, I have to say, I don't, I mean, obviously I am missing some things by not reading all of it, but I don't feel as lost as I thought that I would. Uh, I still want to go back and read X-Men Red. That's going to be my next thing to tackle. Yeah, that's good stuff. Oh, yeah. This week's issue was emotional. It was, and I was shocked at how emotional it was, but it was emotional. But yeah, you'll like it. I'm looking forward to it. It's been It's been fun catching up with it. And um, it's a good follow through. Like I wasn't sure where it was going to go for it was going to continue kind of that first wave that we had, but it totally does. It picks up on those threads that were established before. And I think the, the story about the resurrection and that possibly getting out to the people and how Ben Urick is tied to that stuff and kind of what happens to him and why it happens there's uh, an issue where Ben sits down with, I believe, Cyclops and Sink, and they, they have a discussion as to why the mutants did what they did with Ben, yeah. and his reaction to it I thought was really stand-up. Uh, and I yeah. liked his integrity of saying, don't, don't put the story back in my head. I have a new perspective on it, and this is yeah. the old story is dead. This is this is the new story. Um, and with that information being out there, there's bound to be fallout and consequences from that. And I've been kind of waiting yeah. for that ball to drop from the very beginning when this X stuff relaunched, when they introduced the whole resurrection arrangements. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yo, this is eventually not going to go well for them. Yep. So try well, explaining. It, it's, it's taking a turn. Yeah. Yep. I, you guys can come back. We can't sort of deal. I'll tell you what, though, I still like what we were talking about on the show and the character that you put into the chat as the reveal that wasn't in the core star uh, core X-Men book. I believe that was probably an axe. It probably was an axe. I might I might have gotten them. But yeah, damn it. I I still don't like that, too. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Um, I will say Chris brought to my attention um, while we were there because I didn't make it into the next big thing panel. Uh, but I did research it online after he mentioned it to me. Um, and see, you can go to CBR and see uh, that uh, Marvel teases the end of the X-Men's Mutant Nation and the fall of X-Event. So Whoa. something coming out in 2023. It says, Marvel teases Mutant Kind of Squircone Age could be coming to an end in a new 2023 event, Fall of X, which was announced at New York Comic Con. So, yeah, I don't like it. I don't like it. But we'll <laughs> see where it goes. They didn't really have a whole lot of details, but I don't like it. Anyway. <laughs> Anyway, like <laughs> well, I'm sorry that <laughs> you're not sorry. You don't that. like it. <laughs> I don't like it. It's a shame. So, anyway, sorry about that. That's but, all right. Yeah, it, he, he brought he brought it up, and I was like, "Cool." No, I knew it was a. You know, I think we all sort of sensed. There's only so far they're going to be able to take this, and so powerful they're going to allow the mutants to get before they someone some some creator comes in and tries to give them their comeuppance. And I feel like that's probably going to be soon. He says, it looks like the way they're describing it, it looks like 
all of their enemies are going to try to come at them at once. So we'll see. And they haven't made a whole lot of friends in the rest of the heroic community <laughs> through all this. So, yeah. yeah. Is there any other way to come at them, though? Like, they're so overpowered. Yeah. I don't know that you you can tackle the X-Men unless it's a unified front. It's going to have to be. You're absolutely right. I mean, you you just watched them, like, terraform Mars. Yeah. So you got to ask yourself, do we have enough bullets? Do (laughs) I feel lucky, to quote Dirty Harry? (laughs) you got to ask yourself, if you're going to do it, you better... You better listen. If the Eternals are struggling to take them out, I, I don't yeah. think the U.S. Army is going to have <laughs> a whole lot of luck. So you know, just a thought. But it's 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 making for an interesting conflict, an interesting story. I just I I just I don't want to find ourselves all back at the school in in in, in Westchester. That's all. Indeed. I'm Indeed. Hey, that's me. That's my life. <laughs> uh, that Tus that Tuskegee Airs sounds. Uh, pretty mandatory to me <laughs> it's nice i liked it i liked it a lot i gotta read the other four the other three it sounds so, cool it was started with a kickstarter yeah i think they, they started with a kickstarter and i think there's there's i think there's more out there i think they had four uh there uh at the table um but yeah i just i just like scooped them all up and so i will i will read all of these that's awesome and check into it for more uh, speaking of Kickstarters, I was going to put this in the news just to give it a little bit of a boost, but uh, if you're at all a uh, Harrow County fan, there is a <gasps> Harrow County tabletop game. Uh, wow. I believe it's a tabletop RPG that is on Kickstarter right now uh, and has probably about a good 20-something days to go. So if you want to go and uh, check that out you uh should definitely do so before the uh the timer reaches zero uh it looks cool it looks cool i don't i i i have barred myself from purchasing any more tabletop games because i (laughs) buy them and then don't play them um i have a gloomhaven set if you're all out there and you're listening and you know what this is it is basically a 250 dollar uh rpg board game that i bought with the intention of playing with my friend brendan and that he wasn't allowed into the country so we basically bought it preemptively and then it has sat in my basement opened but unplayed for probably about three to four years now so i learned my lesson and i don't uh i don't buy big time rpgs unless it is the gods of Appalachia uh, set, which we're we're getting from uh, from Cam and put a hefty amount on. But we're gonna we're gonna dive into that. Oh, and the die the die RPG we also put in for. So we'll see. Probably two things that'll sit for quite a while until we can find a willing and able group to uh, get together with. So I'll uh, I'll update everyone when the time comes next Thanksgiving. <laughs> you never know. Got a group together. We might be able to get our friends Brad and Colleen and maybe Mel and Ryan to uh, to play it. Uh, it's just a commitment, and I know that probably DMing is going to fall to me, and that's going to be uh, a challenge. Um, but anyway, Bob, why don't you uh, grace us with a lightning round? Sure. <clears throat> no. 
There are a lot of cool things by Amazing Creators in image number six, but I picked it up solely because Amanda Connor, Jimmy Palmiotti, and Paul Mounts crafted a follow-up to The Pro, the profane and hilarious one-shot first published back in 2002. Back then, we learned about an unnamed sex worker who's given superpowers by an alien interested in seeing if a, quote, soiled, imperfect human, unquote, can still become a hero. Well, I won't entirely spoil that story, but I will say the answer to that question was yes. Now, more than 20 years later, it appears she survived being blown to smithereens during her heroic acts. That causes some consternation among her teammates in the League, which includes a Superman character who, under her services, takes down a jetliner. So he's not happy she's back. I'll just, <laughs> I'm trying to be euphemistic. Anyway, uh, I'm a fan of the original, and so the humor here just really landed big time for me. For those unfamiliar with the pro and who may want to take a walk on the wild side, I think go for it. You won't be sorry. Poison Ivy number five, G. Willow Wilson, Marcio Takara, uh, Arif Prianto, Hassan Atsmani Ilahu, with a flashback by Brian Level and Stefano Gordio, and a gorgeous cover by Stepan Shejic. It brings Ivy to meet her maker in a very literal sense, and so it seems that her plan to recreate a greener world is kaput in this very trippy issue. As always, book is stunning in every aspect. If you guys aren't in on Poison Ivy, you're missing out one of the best books of the year, as far as I'm concerned, and it doesn't matter, but, you know, you should give it a shot. Jane Foster and the Mighty Thor number 5, Torrent Gronbach, Michael Dowling, Jesus Arbutov, Eric Arseniega and Josebino. That's the finale of this miniseries. And here all the separate plot threads come together in an epic battle, but that also has some epic thoughts and emotions as well. If you weren't following this one issue to issue, I, there's so many miniseries, it really is hard to do this. But you're going to want to see this as a trade. It's going to be absolutely fabulous and epic and... It's Jane Foster. It's the Mighty Thor. It's all of Asgard. It's everything you could want in in a in a Norse kind of book. All right. Even though it was a tough weekend, I did manage to catch up with Marvel's new Halloween special, <laughs> Werewolf by Night, which opens with crazy credits that look as if it's one of those seventies or eighties. No, no. Here we're it's giving you something special, like the Star oh, Wars holiday special. Uh, really, just a like lot if Bob of fun. Has something to uh, share? Maybe Bob can share his thing. And dive then. into the Marvel. Halloween vibe of things, the dark side that they that Kevin Feige and right. behind the scenes say they're going to hope go for that'll uh, really enhance that side. Uh, it's written by Heather Quinn, Peter Cameron, directed by Michael Giacchino, who's generally one of the great composers in Hollywood. No, he's he's one of the great composers in Hollywood, who's generally just a composer, but here he's directing. Gail Garcia Bernal as Jack Russell, Lord Donnelly as Elsa Bloodstone, Monster Hunter. Get a cameo from the Man Thing, whosoever burn knows fear burns at the Man Thing's touch. That is there as well. Great black and white piece, universal horror vibe. The music it all ties into that sort of stuff. Some unexpected humor as well. Just a lot of fun for for a horror fan. It's got me thinking werewolf movies the rest of the night. I'm telling you, Marvel should do a lot of these. This idea of, of one shots of minor characters, or we could do Valentine's Day, or you could do all sorts of things. Love this. I hope they'll do some more of this. 
And what I definitely want to see based on the finale of this, I want more Laura Donnelly as Elsa. And that's it for me. Nice. How's a damn? Yeah, I, Jane Foster and the Mighty Thor, um, I did, the, the first thing I, I noticed is as we were going, to, as we, as you wrap it up, you see where the character, you'll see the characters again, which, you know, sort of answers that mm-hmm. question of, will there be another arc? Will they continue? It doesn't look like that's going to be the case, but I'm happy to see that the characters will exist. Um, it was sort of bittersweet. Um, it looks like we'll see, you know, Aruna and in, uh, in another space. That you know, mm-hmm. will at least seem familiar. Um, but Jane Foster, I'm not sure um, how familiar, you know, in the context of where we'll see her again, it will be. But in any event, this story, I again, I will say, Jane Foster continues to be one of my favorite characters. And now, I do hope that they continue at some point to to lean into this idea because there was one scene where she can, she was able to assert authority over Mjolnir uh, that I thought is an interesting dynamic. You know, it's an interesting dynamic between the two of them that she's able to, even though she can wield the, the all weapon, which by the way, was a little bit of a cliffhanger there. um, Mm -hmm. uh, She can still wield Mjolnir. She could still call Mjolnir and she can still, she can take it from Thor, which I thought was interesting, which I think adds a, a layer to their relationship. So just hard. And then there are some of those epic thoughts and feelings I was talking about yeah. where he, he's looking to do something and she's, no, that's done. We're finished here. Yeah. It's, it's, Love yeah. It. There's no, there's no value to continuing this. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it's not gonna, it's, this is more for your ego and less for the actual greater good. So that sort of, balancing was was great so um you know it, it seemed like it wrapped pretty fast considering that they were in that fight for four issues <laughs> but, yeah but, i i wonder if this was supposed to be six and got turned into yeah, five i wonder myself yeah um but no great great story i think you will enjoy it if you read it from beginning to end uh because yeah. it'll give you a really good look at jane foster and how she has evolved in the character she is now and um, i think it's a similar transformation to what we talked about um Ms. Marvel becoming Captain Marvel. I think it's a similar yes. transformation of a character. So uh, Jane Foster becoming Jane Foster. So, you know, there he is. That's all. Yeah. Definitely want to read more Torn Gronbeck as well. Yeah. Yes. Go ahead, Steve. It's a, it's a good read. It's definitely a good mm-hmm. read. Deep. It's very, very, very heartfelt. It is spooky. It's cre- It's well. It's all those because what you do get is the black and white vibe of things. So that's the universal horrors of the '30s and '40s, which had underlying humor to some of it. But it comes to be a little unexpected. A lot of it, as you can imagine, comes from the the very sassy, snarky 
Ms. Bloodstone, who's got some killer lines that she that are sort of almost throwaways, but that's the way she that's the way she rolls, right? Um, there's some some weirdness here and there. There's some surprises that I'm not going to spoil as that who people are as you see them because we're 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 coming into all these characters completely brand new, and you get it is it is oh, it is okay. It it's that universal Wolfman monster rally kind of thing from House of Frankenstein, House of Dracula, Abner Costello meet Frankenstein kind of thing without the overt humor of that. But also, the original book and the original movie is the most dangerous game that have been turned into how many other things over, over these last few years? There are different movies where there's there's a hunt going on. It's there's in some level, ready or not, that movie that I, you could you could you could link it to that sort of tone as well, where there's intermittent spurts of, oh, that was pretty funny considering someone just got their face shut off by an arrow. <laughs> you know? So, uh, if uh, yeah, I, I, I think if you love Ready or Not, this will be right for you. And if you love Werewolf by Night, the comic, it, it, it is Jack Russell. It's we, We're not getting his origin. This is more Elsa's origins. But I think we're going to pick up from Jack, who has some some new twists and turns to what's going on. I I enjoyed the heck out of it. Look, I'm the target audience for a black and white werewolf movie, certainly. But I think there's a lot to love from everybody, and it covers some very new ground for Marvel. (laughs) They've done horror in the sense that Doctor Strange has some horrible Sam Raimi moments. This is straight-out classic old-fashioned horror movie, and that's, that's not a bad vibe to have in this time of year.